Hello and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by guest speaker Carrie Cox. Let's tune in now for Carrie's message. I have the opportunity to present our guest speaker this morning, but before I do that, I want to just ask you to join with me as we just show a little love and appreciation to Jeremy and Jenny. We love you so much and thank you. Thank you for your ministry. Uh, We have a a guest speaker this this morning in, in kind of a we, what we were thinking was 70 years of campus ministry. That's a long time. I was at a, an event recently and I walked into a room of, of uh, some people who were there talking about campus ministry. And I walked in, Anthony Rex, who's been here before, said, there's Ken Holsbury from 10th and Broad and they have the longest campus ministry in Churches of Christ. And I said, well, I don't know if that's true. He said, no one else in the room knows, so just say yes. <laughs> And I doubt that that is the longest campus ministry, but it is something that I really, really thank God for, is that uh, in 1953, and it was, interestingly enough, it was mainly a group of ladies who uh, had a heart, according to the bulletin, for reaching out to students at MSU, and they began those devotionals, they began to have students into their homes, And 70 years later, God is still using this congregation to reach college students. And I'm very thankful for that. And so to celebrate that, I thought, let's bring in Kerry Cox. Kerry has become a friend of mine. Kerry, uh, I met him through uh, Renew.org and through New Day Conference and and some things like that. Kerry and his dad have been in ministry together a long time. And uh, Kerry is a campus minister at the Crossings Church of Christ right outside of uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and it's a a unique uh, church and a unique ministry because uh, in 2004, I guess, was when the first church was planted, and and they really focused on campus ministry and focused on college students, and then they raised up some of those students, and they moved to a different city in the area, and they planted a church. And then they got that church going, and they raised up another group of college students, and they planted a church. And is there four churches now that y'all have planted through campus ministry? And so Carrie just uh, has a lot of experience, a lot of enthusiasm. I'll share this about Carrie to give you some sense of what kind of guy he is. In the last six months, Carrie has had a motorcycle accident. He has had a car wreck, and he fell in a hole. (laughs) And he's really banged up. He doesn't look it, but he's really banged up. He's usually much more presentable than this. (laughs) But what that says to me about Carrie is Carrie lives life with abandon. And Carrie serves Jesus with abandon. And that's one thing I love about him. So let's pray and then let you speak to us, brother. Father, we give you thanks for today. We give you thanks for just reasons to celebrate you. And that's what we do here this morning. It is not about us, but it is all about you and how you choose in your mercy and grace to work through weak vessels. And by us, through us, you demonstrate your power. Pray that you would do that this morning through Carrie. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Good morning, y'all. I'm excited to be here today, and I'm glad that Ken gave me the three hours to talk to you guys, right, Uh, that he he normally gives. Uh, So uh, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, myself and my background and kind of fill you in on uh, why I love campus ministry so much and probably why uh, that 
Ken picked up on that when we met at Renew. Uh, so when I was a little kid, my dad, I'm a, I'm gonna, I want to put a disclaimer out at first before I say too much. I am a Church of Christer through and through. My great, my great grandparents, Church of Christers, you know, my, my grandparents, my parents, like, so I'm telling you that now because some of the things that I might say today may be a little bit offensive. I told my wife, I get nervous sometimes when I go to other places because I'm a very outspoken person who says what's on my mind and, uh, I want you to know, first and foremost, I love the church deeply. I love our brotherhood deeply. I believe that our doctrine is true and correct, and I believe that God wants to do great things through our churches. But we also have some issues, and I think all of us can probably acknowledge that. So before I go too far, I want to put it out there that, like, I'm a little C, big C, your church of Christ are through and through since I was, since I was born, all right? Uh, and uh, whenever I was a kid, uh, my dad was preaching at the church of Christ. My dad was kind of a mess and uh, church camp really helped save his life. He went to this little preacher training school in southern Illinois with Mike Napier, who some of you guys might know. Uh, but he, uh, he went there, and he went there as a messed up kid who had been sexually abused, had really screwed up his life. Was just a, my dad was a mess. And uh, he made a decision that his life was going to fall apart if he didn't do something different. So he went to camp to find a good girl who would help him stay on the straight and narrow. And he graduated from high school and went to preacher training school and worked in Churches of Christ for a while. And after a few jobs of doing that, he looked around and thought there has to be a better way of doing this than what we are. There has to be a way for our churches to make more impact and kind of cut through all the stuff that doesn't matter and get down to the brass tacks of making disciples and changing the world. And so I grew up uh, as basically on a church plant. My dad and his friends started a church uh, on the Illinois side of St. Louis, and I grew up on a church plant with a campus ministry being the main focus of that church plant. And so I was extremely excited to grow up. I got to watch our campus ministry do some incredible things. It's awesome to get to hear about the history here at 10th and Broad and hear all of the years that you guys have invested in the campus ministry, something that's close to my heart in January. I will have been doing campus ministry 28 years uh, full time. And so I, I love campus ministry to death. Uh, but I remember as a kid watching that grow. But as our church grew and things got, uh, the church got bigger, we went from a church of about 20-something who met in a basement to eventually a church that was around 600, uh, mostly grown through campus ministry. And when I got into the campus ministry, uh, I had grown up seeing this vibrant ministry, but somewhere along the way, some things happened. We lost our campus minister. Just a lot of messed up things took place. The campus ministry had dwindled and was down to almost nothing. And I remember coming into the campus ministry at 17 years old and saying, man, things can be different and better than this. And three months later, I was a full-time campus minister, and it, it's been a blast along the way. But I say that to let you know that, like, I look at that church and the history that it had and how I was so excited about being a part of that campus ministry because great things had happened. But just because great things had happened didn't mean they were still happening. And when I got there, we had to make a decision of whether or not campus ministry was going to stay a focus of what we did or not and really decide how much campus ministry mattered to us. And I'm grateful to that church where uh, we, they looked and said, no, this is something that's important to us. And so in 2004, uh, about 30 of us uh, moved over to the Missouri side of the river and planted the Crossings Church. And it was another church that was going to be heavily focused on campus ministry. And like Ken told you, since then we've planted in, uh, in Edwardsville, Illinois. We've planted in the city of St. Louis. We've planted out in Columbia. And now we are working with a church plant in Tulsa and also starting one in Gainesville as well. 
with ideas of next year starting another church plant. And all those things have happened and have been available to us really because God has blessed our, camp, our focus on campus ministry. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. But before I do, I think, uh, like I said, I, I celebrate how much you guys have loved campus ministry and what you've poured into it. And I want you also to look at that and say, man, it's incredible to have that kind of history, but to really say, where are we now and where should we be in the future, right? Uh, so at the Crossings Church on a Sunday morning, I told you we started in 04 with 30 of us. Now on a Sunday morning, there will be somewhere around 600 to 650 people at that church. Uh, and having sent out over 100 people on church plants. If you were to come sit and look at the Crossings on a Sunday morning, uh, most people who visit our church are like, this is weird. And they're like, I have never seen a church before with this many young people. You know, on a Sunday morning out of 600 people, our average age is probably under 30. Uh, out of 600 to 650 people who will attend there on a Sunday morning, probably less than 10, well, less than 10% of them, probably somewhere around in the neighborhood of 35 to 40 people in that entire auditorium grew up in the church. Most of them uh, were unchurched or have been, one, have been one from the world. And God has just done some incredible things. And I think, you know, if you look around at our brotherhood in general, one of the things that I think we'll see about college ministry and that we've got to really own is, is this fact. The church needs young people and they need us. You know, I remember whenever I was one of the last Tulsa workshops, if, how many of you guys ever attended the Tulsa Soul Winning Workshop? All right, so I went to those my entire life, you know, and uh, I remember going to one of the last ones they had. And I don't know if any of you are there, but Francis Chan came in and spoke. And Francis set, stood up on that stage and he looked out at the crowd of Church of Christ you're sitting in there and he said, you guys are in trouble. And he said, if you look around this room, almost everybody here has gray hair. And he's like, and I'm grateful for that, that there are a lot of older men and women who love God and who have been faithful to him. But he said, your church is graying and your church is dying. And, it, and your movement will not be around much longer if, a dra if some drastic actions aren't taken. And I think... Francis is really right. I watch my, I've watched my grandparents' churches. I've watched church after church after church gray and get older and die out. You look at how many doors our churches are closing across the country. It's a sad, it's a sad thing. And there's a lot of truth to what Francis said. And I think that the church has forgotten the fact that the church needs young people, that God's kingdom needs young people, and they need us desperately. And if you look throughout the Old Testament, you saw the same problem happen all the time with God's people, right? You would look and you would see uh, that one generation would rise up and they would follow God. And they would do incredible things, right? You see that in our history. Like, there was a time when the churches of Christ were booming, right? There was a time when our campus ministries were just out there. They were just killing it. We were reaching people, changing lives, and, and powerful things were happening across our movement. But those days seem to have passed for us. A lot like the Old Testament, God's people in the Old Testament. God would raise people up. He would do incredible and powerful things through his people. And, and, and they would see the incredible nature and power of God, but then that next generation would come along and that next generation would come along and they stopped seeing those things. Judges 2.10 says, when that whole generation had passed away, another generation came after them who didn't know the Lord or of the great things that he had done in Israel. And my fear for our churches is that's going to be us. That's my fear. That we're going to look back and we're going to look and say, man, we forgot that God's kingdom needs young people and they need us. And we're going to forget to pass down the great things that God has done. And we are going to gray and we are going to die out. And we'll have generations of people who don't know God whatsoever. 
Psalm 78, 2 through 8 says, I will open my mouth with a parable and I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, of his power and the wonders that he has done. And he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the laws in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children and they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God and whose spirits were not faithful to him. And you see this plea and this cry that says, man, we want, I want the next generation to know Jesus. And I want them to know what he has done. And I want them to know the power that God has and what he can do in and through these people's lives. But sadly, so many times amongst God's people, that next generation doesn't know God. And they forget God. And they forget the mighty and powerful things they've done. And our churches are in desperate need of young people. The kingdom of God, if it is going to survive the onslaught that we are facing in our culture, in our society, the kingdom of God is going to have to wake up and say, you know what? We have got to figure out what it is going to take to make sure the next generation knows Jesus. Because it's a, it's a scary prospect, not only for the church, but it's a scary thing for the world when the world doesn't have the kingdom of God. And it is our responsibility to make sure that the next generation knows him. Imagine, you know, walking in, let's imagine for a moment, we really focus on understanding that the kingdom of God needs young people and that they need us. And we understand that in a powerful way to where you, next year, when you do your missions month, you come in here and you look around this room and there are more college kids in this room than there are older people. How incredible would that be? And I believe that's entirely possible. And I believe that God is longing for his church to step up and make sure the next generation knows him. But we're going to have to address some things and be honest about where we are. Because we're not doing the greatest job at that. And I think part of the reason is we forgot that the church needs young people. But also we forget that they desperately need us. Like I told you, if you come to our church on a Sunday morning, our church is full of a bunch of broken kids. It really is. Um, I look our our teen ministry, our high school ministry will have somewhere between 60 and 80 people probably there on Sunday mornings. High school kids, that youth ministry started with two kids. Our college ministry that started with four kids will have somewhere between 125 and 150 college kids there. We have probably another 50 junior hires. And then we have a ton of families in their 20s and 30s who have come through the campus ministry and are trying to reach other young families. And I look at that and I think about where those people were when we met them and how desperately they needed Jesus. And I think if our churches could step back and step outside of ourselves to realize what is going on in the lives of the people around us, we would see people much more like Jesus did. And when we would go to our local campuses and we would look at those and we would have the same perception and the same eyes that Jesus had when he looked at those people, it would change our perspective drastically and it would change what we do. It would change what we focus on. Because you see, in Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus comes, it says he saw the crowds and he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and they were helpless. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into the harvest. 
You see, I think Jesus would come and he would look, and we get frustrated with the younger generations, right? And I'm sure the older you are, you're probably frustrated with my generation. My generation is frustrated with the next generation, and there are lots of things to be frustrated with, right? There are a lot of things to look at this, some of the, some of the younger generations, and we laugh and we joke about them, but I don't think we really see them for who they are. I don't think we see them as helpless and harassed and in desperate need of a Savior, And when Jesus looked at the world, he looked at the world and was like, this place is so screwed up, I have to go there and do something about it. And the kingdom of God is going to have to look at the world and say, man, it is so messed up out there. Those people are hurting so desperately. They are longing for something different. They just don't know where to find it. And the kingdom of God has to look and say, I have to have a heart for people because they need the church The people on the campus in your town desperately need Jesus and they desperately need the church and they desperately need older men and women in their lives to show them something different than what they've been shown their whole life. And Jesus looks and he saw these people as hurting and helpless. You know, I I, want to walk down just through just a few people that we've met in the campus ministry and give you an idea of what God has done in the lives of some of these people. There's a guy named Devin Durbin. And Devin is a kid who, when he came into our campus ministry, uh, he started hanging out with us and stuff. And he was a, he's a sweet kid. But he, uh, we went on a, on a campus spring break trip one time. And on the spring break trip, I had just met Devin. He had just started coming around. He had just studied the Bible. He had just uh, been baptized into Christ. And we're going on this trip, and we go on this long hike. And on this hike, there's this big, steep hill that we have to climb up. And as we're climbing up this big, steep hill, uh, we have a very um, diverse campus ministry in a lot of ways, right? Racially, economically, like our campus ministry is extremely diverse. We have some people who are really fit and we have some people who are really not fit, all right? So we're going on this hike, we're going up this hill and there are guys and girls on this hike and there are some, I'm looking up the hill and there there are girls who are ahead of us who are really not in very good shape and Devin is behind me and he is whining the whole time to the point he starts crying. And I am like, I'm like a dude's dude. So I'm like, what is happening right now? So I finally, I'm fed up with him, right? I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, look up ahead of us. Like, there's there's girls who, you know, are at the top of this hill already. So finally I turn, I'm like, Devin, knock it off. And he's like, what? I'm like, stop it. You are a man. And God made you a man. And you need to start acting like a man and stop acting like a little boy. Stop crying and walk up this hill. And I said, because God made you a man. And, and, and at the time, it was, to be honest, smoking more out of frustration than anything else. Because I was like, we're not getting back tonight if Devin doesn't get it together. So we get to the top of the hill. And like I said, I just barely knew Devin in that moment. And Devin starts crying again. Looking, we're looking back over the hill. And Devin's crying again. And at first I look at him, I'm like, what is happening? And so I look around and at this time I've calmed down. I'm like, Devin, what's going on? And Devin starts to share his story with me. He said, Carrie, my whole life, my whole life, I felt like I was in the wrong body. He said, I cross-dressed throughout high school. I've, I've done things that are embarrassing. And I've always, I've just said, until I found Jesus, I didn't know anything. I couldn't decide what I was even. And he's like, and here I am now. And for the first time in my entire life, Looking back down on this hill, for the first time ever, I know God made me a man and he did it right. And I look at this kid, and and, and Devin has had struggles along the way, but he ended up 
getting married to one of our college girls. They ended up going on a church plant. They have kids. It's an incredible thing to see what God has done in Devin's life. But man, the devastation that Devin had felt not having a dad who was a part of his life and going through all kinds of awful, horrific things and suffering abuse. I looked at Devin and I, in that moment, I was like, I need to be more compassionate and I need to have more empathy for where these kids are coming from. And then I would look and I would think about this girl named Jenny Sagato, who me and uh, my wife and I love desperately. And uh, we met Jenny. She was my daughter's sweet mate her freshman year in college. And we meet Jenny on campus and uh, we're talking to her the first day uh, we meet her. And uh, we're like, do you want to hang out with us today? And she's like, sure. So for the rest of the day, she hung out with our family. This was right before COVID. She ended up living with us during COVID. But as we got to know Jenny, we call her the feral child because she is wild. I mean, that girl, you would swear she was raised by wolves. Like she will run everywhere barefoot. She doesn't care. She's like, just like, almost like, she's like kind of like a 12 year old trapped into this 18, 20 something year old now uh, girl's body. She was just a mess. But then you start talking to Jenny and you find out that Jenny was raised in a circus. And now I'm not talking, like, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm talking literally was raised in a circus, in a traveling circus that also dealt meth. So she would travel around town to town with the circus with her family while they dealt drugs under the guise of being a circus. And she has watched her mother have kids with multiple different guys, multiple different carnies that worked with them on this. And she's watched her sister's dad kill her other sister's dad with a frying pan. She's watched, I mean, just awful, horrific things. And she is the, the sweetest kid you'll ever meet in your life. And I go down that line and I just keep looking at these students. And I think about our friend Katie, who when we met when we first church, planted the church. And she was that girl who, when she would walk through the cafeteria, everybody would whisper her about, about her. And everybody would be talking about who she did what with the night before. And I watched Katie grow up with a, you know, who grew up with an abusive dad who was an alcoholic who would get a little too handsy when he would get drunk. I would watch her give herself to guys until she became a a follower of Jesus. She became a disciple. She turned her life around and become an incredibly powerful woman of God who helps lead in our ministries now. And I watch her husband, Ryan, and I watched him go through his alcoholic stage to where his little sister called me one night and was like, Ryan is somewhere in St. Charles. His friends left him drunk. He doesn't know where he's at. And he's calling me at 2 a.m. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, you got to get it together. Your sister's calling me sobbing on the phone because you're an alcoholic mess. And God wants something better for you. And now Ryan and Katie are married and they lead our young adult ministry at the church. And I could sit here and I could go story after story after story. We could literally talk. I could tell you stories that are, that are crazy and outlandish for hours. And I'm not exaggerating about what God has done in the lives of these people. But we have, as a church, we can't look at these people and be like, oh yeah, look how screwed up they are and just be frustrated with them. We have to look at them and see them as helpless and harassed and realize that it is the church's job to infiltrate the world and make sure these people have the opportunity to have what Jesus designed for them to have. And that that doesn't go to waste. You know, I get, I get really frustrated over the years. I've gotten, I've gotten to the point to where anytime anybody brings up, well, how are we going to reach the next generation? And then they pull out these charts, right? And they start saying, well, millennials and what, millennials want this and they want that. And they start breaking down all the generations and what the generations want and what they need. And what they need is a church that loves Jesus and loves them. 
and all this other junk and the mumbo jumbo that you hear about how we're going to meet them and how they don't want the church and all these things, it's a bunch of, it's a bunch of junk. It's just not true. What they need is a church that loves Jesus and a church that loves them and sees them where they are, but also sees them where they could be. And that's a part of Jesus' kingdom. And when we start seeing them like that, that's when we start seeing drastic changes taking place in their lives and we see incredible things happen. You see, they need the church desperately, but the church needs to understand that we also need them and that it's our responsibility to make sure that they're here with us. They're not going to wander into our churches because our, our signs say, come join us, right? That's not the way it's going to work. We're going to have to go out and find them. And the church needs them desperately. You know, earlier I, I, I told you that uh, our church is extremely young. And I think the reason that we've been able to plant the churches that we've had is because part of the reason that the church needs young people is that they are prime candidates to expand the kingdom of God because they are so upwardly mobile. They haven't picked careers yet. They don't, haven't settled down with their families yet. They haven't done all these things. They have an incredible opportunity to go out and plant churches. And you look at Jesus' ministry. I don't know about you guys, but whenever, my whole life, honestly, until recently, when I thought about the apostles, I pictured old men with long beards. That's what I pictured. I've always, my whole life growing up in the church, I have always thought that the apostles were older guys. But if you look, that's really not the case. As a matter of fact, they were probably very young men. And more and more, what you do is we get more and more research and we understand that, that society better. We find out that they were extremely young guys, probably teenage years, some of them. And you can look throughout Jesus' ministry and see that he focused on these young guys for a reason. And you see what the first century church did. And when you start realizing that the first century church did what it did with a bunch of young guys helping lead it, that's a powerful thing. And I want to pattern, I want to pattern my ministry after the way Jesus patterned his ministry. Because he seemed to know what he was doing, right? A little better than what we do. But like, if you don't believe me in that, like, go read a lot of scholarly work right now on what the apostles' ages were. And what you'll find out is that they believe, most of them believe they were somewhere between the ages of 15 and 20 tops. You know, you look at, uh, there's lots of reasons for that. I'll, I'll fly down through a few of them. I'm going to keep you here forever. But you look at Jesus, the temple tax. Whenever it came to having to pay the temple tax and Jesus was going to take the apostles into the temple, how many of those guys had to pay the temple tax? Anybody remember? Jesus and Peter. The other guys didn't need to worry about the temple tax. They weren't old enough to worry about it yet. Jesus and Peter were the only two guys who had to pay the temple tax. Then you start looking and a lot of other things start making sense about Jesus. You think about how many times he called them little ones. And you think about how immature they were sometimes. And some of the immature fights they get in. You ever look at them and be like, man, those men were so immature. Well, yeah, they were young men. Like they were arguing and fighting about who was going to sit at where, where with Jesus. And it was, it was crazy. You know, if you look at them seemingly they were all unmarried except Peter. These guys weren't married yet. These are young men. You look at the education system of the Jewish people and they picked young men. The, rab the rabbi would pick young men to teach. And I believe that when you look at what Jesus did, I think he came in and grabbed these guys who the rabbis didn't pick, the people who the world would have never picked. And he's like, hey, that's a young man who's capable of doing incredible things and everybody else thinks they're weak, but I can make them strong. And he took these young men and he did great things and powerful things with them. And they were able to go and spread the gospel throughout the entire world. 
You know, I told you uh, out in the last, since 2004, starting in 2014, we started planting churches at the crossings. So we planted in 04. Ten years later, we planted our first church in 2014, and then again in 2017, and then again in 2020. Out of those three plants that have went out since 2014, 102 people went on those plants. 94 of those people became disciples of Jesus, either in our high school ministry or our campus ministry. 98 out of 102, we saw baptized into Christ in those ministries. And now they're on church plants. And all of those church plants, listen, they're not where they would want to be or even necessarily where we would look and want to be, but they're all growing. That first plant has broke the 200 barrier and they are moving forward and they are on a tear right now. And it's so much fun watching that, that church grow and seeing lives change. And whenever I get to go over and preach at that church or whenever we meet together for a retreat or something, I get to look and I get to see all these people and I'm like, man, this is wild. This started with 20 people and look at all these people that I don't know. And the crazy and most exciting part about it is I can look and be like, I know these people didn't know Jesus before that church plant went out. And I know that a bunch of college students who were zealous for God went on a church plant and they are making a, a difference in the lives of the people in their community. You know, we at the crossings, we have more high school and college students baptize their parents than the other way around. We have more, we have more students who reach their parents than we do parents who reach their students. It's such an exciting and cool thing to happen. And luckily, now at the crossings, we've been around, you know, almost 20 years now. And finally, we're starting to see some gray hair. And it was something we were like, we need some older people in our church. We need some more mature people. And now we're starting to reach an older generation as well. And it's such an exciting thing for the church. But really, the only reason we've been able to plant and have the things happen that we have is because of our focus on student ministries. Because we looked at these students and we're like, man, these people desperately need Jesus and the church needs these younger people. So when you walk in, you walk in and there is just a buzz. Like if you walk into the Crossings Church, it is, it's exciting. You know, we have people come in and visit often from other churches. And they come in and they're like, man, I would kill for our church to look like this. I would kill to know that whenever I'm gone, my church is going to carry on. But I just don't know that. But there's, the encouraging thing is that it can be like that. It really can. And it's not some, there's not some magic formula. And you don't need to figure out all the ins and outs of the next generation. We need to love Jesus and we need to love people. And we need to focus on how to reach them. I know I'm going to be talking in class, right? Is that next, Ken? In, in, the cla- in this class coming up, I'm going to break another rib. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be talking in this, in this next class. And I'm going to be talking about kind of how we do that. But I really want, one of the things I, I, I long to see amongst our brotherhood and amongst Churches of Christ, I want to see a fiery passion again for reaching young people. And not just our young people. You know, it, I grew up going to the Church of Christ church camp. One of the most depressing things for me to do now is go to back to that camp. So in the summers, we rent the church camp that I grew up going to for our youth ministry. Our youth ministry got too large to be able to go to the normal weeks of camp, so now we have to rent it. And I go and I lay in those bunks at night where me and my friends would sign our names on the cabin. And most of my friends who went to camp with me grew up in Churches of Christ, spread out through Missouri and Illinois. And I lay in that cabin at night and I see the names of my brothers and sisters who no longer go to church, who no longer want anything to do with God. And I'm not talking about a few of them. I'm talking about the majority of them. And I'm sure in a crowd this size, in a Church of Christ, Many of you out there have kids and grandkids 
who have walked away from God. It's a difficult thing to see. My greatest fear is that my 22-year-old, my 20-year-old, and my 14-year-old will walk away from the relationship with God. It's, t- it's a terrifying proposition. And it's been heartbreaking to watch my friends lose children. And it's been heartbreaking to watch the kids that I grew up going to church camp with completely abandon their faith. And I think that we've become a church that really hasn't given the next generation much to be excited about. And I think that they haven't seen the great deeds that God has done. And they're not excited about what he's going to do because they don't realize what he's done in the past. And I think, and I think we will continue to lose our next generations to the world over and over and over again. And I think we will fail to reach the unchurched and bring them into the kingdom of God over and over and over again until we make some drastic changes. Until we own where we are and until we say, man, something has to change. Our focus has to change. The way we do some things is going to have to change. And I think when we grasp that and we love God and we love people, it doesn't allow for us to just continue in our old ways. It forces us to do something different. And it, fo- it forces us to really look and say, all right, what has to happen for us to make sure that we're no longer losing our kids? What has to happen for us to make sure that we're reaching the world? One of the frustrating things for me about campus ministry over the years has been this idea that our campus ministries exist to go to our campuses and to be a safe haven for our Church of Christ kids who come to that state school. But that mentality is the mentality that our churches have also had too many times. And that's why we're shrinking and we're graying and we're dying out because that's what we've done. We've huddled together and we've tried to protect our own instead of realizing that that's not at all the way that Jesus did things or he designed the church to be. And he is longing to see his kingdom grow and expand. But the church is going to have to get on board with what God is trying to do. And we are going to have to, we are going to, have to seriously examine and, and change some things that we're doing. And so when, if, for those of you coming to the class, we're going to kind of talk about what that takes and what, it, what it's going to look like in order for our churches to do that. But God can do that. I'm telling you. There is no reason for the church to feel hopeless and helpless. I remember having conversations with elders from so many churches that I've went and visited or that have come to visit us, and they seem so helpless, and they, they seem so hopeless about them reaching the next generation. And it shouldn't be that, that way at all. There's nothing hopeless about being able to reach that next generation. And it's, a, it's fun to get together and to celebrate the, the things God has done in the past. It's important for us to do that, Right? It's important for us to remember what God has done through 10th and Broad in the past. It's important to remember your history in campus ministry. And it's powerful. And it's, it, it, it's, it's cool for me to get to hear you guys reminisce about those things. And, but, man, you're in Missions Month also, right? And Missions Month isn't saying, what do we do back here? Missions Month is saying, what do we do here? And I can tell just from being around the members that I've been around in your church that you guys love God, you love each other, and I know you want 
to have a great impact on this community. And I know that you can, you got, I, I think it would just be so amazing to come in here and see this place packed out with a bunch of young people. And I believe wholeheartedly that God can do that and will do that if that's what this church wants and that's what this church acts upon. So I'm excited for what, what God is going to do way more than what I am, what he has done for you all. You know, you look around this room, it's clear he's done some cool things. But man, what he wants to do is so much more fun and so much more powerful. And you guys get to be a part of that. So I want to encourage you all to, uh, to really, you know, while you're looking back over the last 70 years, it's incredible to see, right, that you're still here because a lot of churches aren't, right? A lot of them are gone, but you're still here. And God still has great plans for this church and for its future. And I'm excited to see what he's going to do the next time I get to come down here and I get to sit with you all and I get to look around and be like, man, look at this. This is insane to see what God has done. All right, we're going to pray and then uh, I'll turn it over to Ken. Father in heaven, uh, Thank you so much, God, for being a God who loves us desperately, who wants great things for our lives, God, and want, you want your kingdom to expand and to do great things, God. I, I've been fortunate enough to see you change the lives of so many young people, and I know that you long to do that everywhere, God. I know that you long to uh, have our churches be vibrant, God, to be churches that uh, the world can look at and see a contrast between us and the world, God. That we can be churches that hold strongly to our doctrine, God, and we never abandon the truth of your word, God, and that we understand that we don't need to do that. We don't need to abandon any truth in order to reach the world, God. We need to stick to that truth, but we need to love desperately. We need to love you, we need to love each other, and we need to love the lost world around us, God. We need to see them as helpless and harassed, and we need to do whatever we can to make sure they have every opportunity to know you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Carrie. We appreciate so much your good words and your, uh, I hope you'll stick around and come to class. I'm going to be on the east side of the Family Life Center and have some things that Carrie will share and have some time for some questions and answers. So please make your way there when we're finished in here. Uh, as we've done each week, I want to spend a few minutes in prayer for uh, our missionaries. Um, we've, each week I've asked our missionaries to uh, share about five requests that we can spend a few minutes praying about. And Jeremy and Jenny <clears throat> have, have done that. And so uh, I'll ask you just to, to, to take a minute to, to get into a prayer posture. And uh, let's, let's seek the Father on behalf of Jeremy and Jenny and their children and uh, the campus ministry at M4C. And the first request, request that Jeremy and Jenny have is that they would, that God would give them stamina, uh, that they would uh, invest physically and spiritually in the lives of our students. And last night, they were reminiscing with Carrie and Hannah just about uh, what late nights college ministry involves. And so we want to honor that prayer. So let's pray. I'll, again, I'll say a sentence prayer or so and then give a few minutes for you just to continue to ask God for this. But Father, we come and we thank you for Jeremy and Jenny. We thank you for our college ministry. We thank you for our college students. And uh, Father, we want to ask specifically on behalf of Jeremy and Jenny as they're 
a husband and wife and they have that relationship as their father and mother and they have their, their kids that they uh, care so much about and, and, and want to do their very best for as they have a whole host of college students that they love and invest in. I pray, Lord, that you would bless Jeremy and Jenny with physical and spiritual stamina. Father, we continue to pray for Jeremy and Jenny and for M4C and honor the request that Jeremy and Jenny have shared that, Father, would you please lead them, lead our students, lead us to other students who are faithful and available and teachable. Father, would you, in your hands-on involvement in our lives, would you connect us, connect them to students that you're already working on and uh, let them be light, let them be salt, let them be the hands and the feet of the Lord Jesus uh, as they interact with those students. Lord, I want to ask that you give Jeremy and Jenny and the leadership team at M4C a really clear focus on what you have before them, what you have ahead for them. And as Carrie said, it's, it's great to look back and I'm thankful to look back, but Father, set our eyes on your kingdom and on your future and give Jeremy and Jenny and M4C and our church a really clear focus on what you have in store for us. Father, I want to pray on behalf of the Aaron family. And 
I pray that you would give them a healthy balance as they invest their lives in your kingdom work, invest their lives into students, but also as Jeremy and Jenny invest their lives in Lucas and Audrey. I'm thankful for Lucas and Audrey. We love them. And I pray that as they grow up in this ministry, that you are grooming them and you are shaping them for their future in your kingdom. And so bless the Aaron family as they live and work and minister and grow in you. And Lord, as we close, we give you thanks for our current students. I thank you for their faithfulness. I thank you for their obedience to you and to your ways. I thank you for their dedication being disciples who are making disciples. Thank you for their energy and their life, their vitality. I thank you for their love that they pour out for each other and for uh, their friends and the lost on campus. Father, we are very thankful for these young men and women in whom we see Jesus. And we ask that you would bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.